Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Uh, my name is Chris Gretzu. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, I also was not here last week, and so Happy New Year to you again. Uh, so uh, hopefully you guys had great holidays and uh, time with family, friends, maybe a little bit of downtime. And, uh, and uh, it's weird that it's January 8th. Uh, it feels like, I mean, January is basically already half over now. So that's cool. Uh, I know how math works. I know it's not quite half, okay? It's like a third. Don't correct me, teachers, Jamie. Uh, So, uh, but thanks for being here. And we are starting this brand new series called Safe Distance. And I kind of want to just jump right into it today because um, there's a lot that I want to be able to cover with this. This series, I'm really excited about it because in the past, at at the beginning of a year, we've started a year with different types of topics, kind of circling the same idea. How do you move forward on your goals in life? How do you grow deeper in your faith? And we have said some kind of general things that are true. There are, th- there are things that are generally true. Uh, and for us as Jesus followers, for those of us that uh, call ourselves Christians, maybe you're here and you're exploring your faith or you're not sure where you fall kind of in that faith journey. Um, you know, there's some generally true things. We should read our scripture regularly. We should pray. We should serve or volunteer. Uh, there, there's these aspects that are kind of these ongoing rhythms of what does it look like for us to be healthy spiritually. Um, and generally true things are helpful, but specifically true things can be more helpful. And so in this series, one of the things that I'm excited about is we're going to be talking about how each of us are really wired in pretty unique ways. Uh, we're, we're different. We come from different homes and backgrounds and cultures. And we're going to talk about some things that really will help us not only have uh, a, a way to build healthier relationships with the people in our lives, loved ones, friends, um, family members, whatever it might be, but also to build healthier relationship with God, with our Heavenly Father. I'm excited for this series. Um, and I, I want to say that I think that there's a, a potential for it to feel a little bit heavy as we start today. So I just want to say this out loud because sometimes I get like halfway into it and I'm like, oh man, everybody's sad. Uh, and I think maybe you're like, oh man, I'm sad. And so uh, we're going to go we're gonna go down a little bit, but we're coming back up. Okay. Are, are we okay with that? Is everybody? Okay. We're going to do it. And there's going to be just like a, a hum in the speaker the whole time too. Just kidding. Do you guys hear that? Okay, great. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't just me. So, uh, awesome. Well, uh, a couple nights ago, actually last night, we uh, had dinner with some friends, and I didn't tell them that I'm telling this story, but one of them's here today. So, um, but uh, we had some dinner with some friends, and they've got a two-year-old, and as we were walking up, their two-year-old shouted with excitement because of our boys, and he was so excited to play with my kids. I got a seven and 11-year-old, and um, they all are into the same things, two, seven, and 11. They all love Star Wars. And Marvel, and uh, and so, but we got there a little bit late, and so there was a little bit of time for them to play together, and then it pretty quickly came time for the two-year-old's birthday uh, or bedtime, not birthday, uh, is bedtime, and 
Um, to say he was devastated about having to leave the party is an understatement. I mean, he just broke down weeping. And uh, put yourself in his, his shoes, right? I mean, you, you finally see some friends. You're getting to hang out, play with the big kids. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's time to go to bed. And not even just go to bed, but you have to take a bath first and then go to bed. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. And so he's like, so upset and so distraught and crying and just really, really upset about it. And, you know, it's an interesting thing as you think about the way that we respond to that two-year-old in that moment, the way that a parent responds to that moment. And his parents were incredible. They didn't even seem to be frustrated, which I don't know how they did that. But, but the way that we respond in that moment uh, and in these individual moments over time deeply shapes the way that two-year-old understands that they're loved, if they're valued, how important their opinion or their perspective is to their parents. Um, like I said, they were incredible and very calm and patient and kind and, and, and present with him as he was figuring it out. But, but imagine if they weren't. Imagine if they were robotic and cold every time he was confused and upset. Imagine if uh, they were volatile and angry every time he disagreed or wanted something different. And some of you don't necessarily have to imagine because some of you may have grown up in homes where that was the case. You know what it's like to have family members or parents or, or caretakers that uh, you had to kind of navigate around them. As a child, you had to figure out, how do I figure out how to keep them okay? And really, in the process of keeping them okay, we're actually keeping ourselves okay. We're protecting ourselves. We're, we're making sure that we're safe, that we're accepted, that we're loved. Uh, there are these things, every one of us, we grow up in different homes and different families, and some of the things that feel normal in relationships to us, we realize, are not necessarily the same for everybody. We pick up different things, some of the as I was processing through some of these ideas, uh, you know, some of us grew up in homes where there's like a specific topic or a subject that you would just never bring up in front of your mom or your dad. There's just one that you know, like, nope, we can't talk about that, and it's not going to happen. Some of you guys, uh, like me, you know, when you were growing up, you had to kind of wait for five or ten minutes after your dad got home from work to see kind of what version of him came home from work. What mood is he going to be in before I start sharing my ideas, thoughts, whatever it might be. Uh, some of you grew up in homes where you were allowed to have needs, but you could never have more needs than another family member. You always had to kind of just fit somewhere in the middle, and you couldn't really rock the boat or make waves. We all grew up in homes that are very different, and in uh, contexts and relationships that are very different. I remember when Ez and I started dating, uh, and then we got engaged. Uh, one night, I was invited to something that her family called a family meeting, which I thought was like, okay, this will be fun. It's not fun. Uh, a family meeting is where, you know, eight angry Mexicans sit in a room together, and they talk about all of the things that they have done that have upset each other over the last three months. And it was terrifying to me, not because they were like that angry, but because my family never talked about anything. We never talked. It was just stuff it and move on. And so it was this bizarre, wildly uncomfortable experience for me because in my mind, why would anybody subject themselves to this? There's a better way. 
don't talk about it. <laughs> just pretend like you like each other and move on. Like, you know, so, but there's this, just these total different perspectives and ways that you show up. And each one of our families, we have these, these ways. The people that raised us, they have influenced the way that we respond. The people that we live with, uh, those youngest years, those beginning years, they shape so much about us. Uh, in Proverbs 22, uh, there's a scripture we may be really familiar with that says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, this is a scripture that a lot of times we use as an encouragement to parents to, you know, to build healthy values and, and faith and principles into their kids in the belief that as they get older, they will continue on that same path because it's part of their foundation. And that's true, but the inverse is also true. However we start off our kids is really going to stick with them forever, for years we build a foundation, we build a context, we build a way to relate with each other, to, to navigate relationships, to, to feel loved or to make sure you're safe. We kind of create that space intentionally or not, and our kids, us, other people around us, we all grow up in this type of mindset, and it's difficult to get out of that. It's, it's, um, it's not just true in positive things, it's, it's just kind of true in general. All of our parents started us on a path, our caregivers, the people that we spent the most time with as we were young children, and most of us are still on that path. And they may not have done it intentionally, but our upbringing aims all of our relational reactions, our upbringing, those first core relationships, they shape all of our current relationships and the way we react. Is anybody sad yet? Okay. Um, so... Some of us, we fall into a pattern as adults that is called a corresponding pattern with our parents, which is you're the same. You just do things the way that they did. And then some of you fall into contrasting parents uh, of patterns with your parents, which is uh, there's no way I am ever going to be that way. I will do everything possible to avoid becoming that kind of person or reacting in that way or, or being in that type of relationship. And, and generally, people fall into these two kind of categories, corresponding or contrasting patterns with our parents. And I think that while we imagine the way that we interact with people is the same as everybody, what we realize is that that's not true. And this idea that I want us to kind of hold on to today, the warning, I guess, for us to hold on to today before I start to kind of hopefully pull this ship up out of a nosedive, is that we tend to react in our current relationships in a way that reflects our early relationships, which isn't always healthy or helpful. Sometimes it is. Some of you had phenomenal homes that you grew up in. You had loving families. You had really healthy models. Some of you had some healthy models and some unhealthy models. Some of you had only unhealthy. Some of you had no models. I get that. And we're all across the board here, and every one of us is a little bit different. But the reality is, is that in our current relationships, especially if we're not thinking about it or intentional, we tend to react in a way that reflects those relationships that we grew up in. Um, I think we've all probably been in that experience where you start to feel tension with a, a spouse or a partner or a close friend or family member, maybe not a family member because you'd probably be similar in that way, but uh, maybe a confusing text or something, uh, somebody doesn't notice something in a calendar, it's a theoretical, 
um, and a rift starts to open up between you two, and, and you respond uh, as you would normally respond, the, the way that you're wired to respond, and you both use the, the tools that you've acquired to try and resolve that tension, to, to fix the challenge, to, to resolve the conflict. Uh, I think I've told this story before. I'll, I'll share it very briefly. When Ez and I, one of the first major fights that we had after we got married, we lived in a one-bedroom. It was actually a studio apartment. It was 470 square feet, and the only door was the door to the bathroom. So if you wanted to slam a door, you had to storm into the bathroom and slam it really, really hard. So um, I don't even remember what the fight was, but I just remember clear as day realizing that we are so different is when we had this huge fight and she left. She's like, I just need to walk away and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to go for a walk and I'll come back and everything's going to be fine. (laughs) And I just remember being wildly upset because I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to, it's like, no, let's just work through it. And it was crazy because the more she wanted to just get some space and clear her head, the more upset that I was because of the way that I was shaped and raised. And and it was like this terrible storm kind of brewing across our relationship. So not only did we have the original problem, but then we had the problem of the way that we reacted and we only have those tools to fix it. And so it's just this broken cycle of, of pain or frustration. There's this thing that psychologists and sociologists have been studying for a long time, and there's a whole field of study around it, and it's called attachment science. And attachment science is the study of how we get and keep connection with others. And this is going to be something we're looking at over these next few weeks. And I think it's going to be a really helpful thing because this is not just if, if you're a Christian and maybe you find yourself here and you're like, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus and I trust the scripture and I'm going to do what it says. I'm going to act a certain way. And, and maybe for some of you, uh, you're a Christian and, and you're still a little bit skeptical about some things. And maybe some of you are just not even on boat with the whole Christianity thing. And, and I'm excited because we get to take something that is uh, true, something that has been studied and, and watched and observed in relationships for years and years, and we get to look at this through the lens of our faith. And I think it's going to be a, 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 an important journey for each of us to understand how we can get and keep a deep relationship and a deep connection with others. There's four basic attachment styles. An attachment style is kind of a set of assumptions. This is kind of like the way that you approach relationships to make them work. There's going to be a lot of information, and I'm saying that in advance. So, But I just want to make sure we have... Uh, oh, yeah. I, I also want to say one other thing. As we talk about this, uh, at the end, uh, on your way out, there's a paper kind of quiz that you can take to figure out what your attachment style is if you don't already know, which you might figure it out just as we talk about it. So... Um, So we're going to talk about this a little bit, and I want to talk about why it's so important for us to understand this. But the first one is secure, and this is kind of the best place to be, the belief that closeness is the result of people being open, available, considerate, and responsive to one another. You enjoy each other as you are right now. Can you imagine (laughs) what that would be like? So most of us, uh, unfortunately, we're not, at least not always, in the secure space. Uh, Sensitive uh, is the belief that closeness is the result of the right behavior, requiring you to vigilantly monitor others' moods for potential rifts you're responsible to prevent or repair. 
And just out of transparency, that's me. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shut down is the belief that closeness is the result of remaining calm and in control, requiring you to suppress and avoid feelings to keep yourself and others from getting hurt. Uh, shifty is the belief that closeness <laughs> is the result of you being a better person than you could ever be, requiring you to keep others from discovering and being disgusted by the real you. Now, for people that know a lot more about this than I do, like Gretchen, these are not the official terms. These are just ones we wanted to have them all start with S, so they are also known as secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized in that order. Um, now, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, and like I said, there's this assessment that you're going to take, and we all have components of each of these. None of us is only one of these things, and there's one person that said that, um, I'm going to get it right, categories are for research, not for real people. And so there's not just a bucket that you are. We are all complex, wonderful, problematic creatures. Uh, but these are kind of the four basic attachment styles, four basic ways that people exist in their relationships. And if we know what form of insecurity is keeping us from closeness, we can figure out what tools we need to move towards healthier relationships. Paul, in the New Testament, said it this way. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world or to the pattern that you were raised with in your home, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We naturally are going to copy the customs, the behaviors, the, the, the ways of relationships that we grew up in and around. And so there is an intentional choice of allowing God to renew our mind. And as we do that, we begin to uh, find health. We be begin to find relationships. Uh, we begin to be able to understand how God wants us to be able to exist. Not just what he wants us to do or how he wants us to act, but to experience the whole life that God truly wants for us. Um, now, just as a side note for people that are parents, um, because this can start to get really worrisome as you start to think about how you care for your kids. Not everybody does it as wonderfully as our friends did last night. Uh, some of us struggle with a little bit more things. So I just want to say for parents, um, they talk about statistically, uh, show your kids that closeness with you is not dependent on what they do. Teach them to identify and healthily express their emotions. Make it clear that you genuinely like and love them as they are, quirks and all. Uh, this is the way that we help them build a, a healthy kind of perspective and experience of this. And again, because they have studied everything, they've found that we only have to get it right 50% of the time. Five zero, 50% of the time and your kids are able to kind of build these healthier systems. So that's great, right? I mean, that's, I mean, 50%. Anybody can do that half the time, right? Yeah. So, okay. Uh, here's the thing. Your attachment style doesn't just affect how you relate to your spouse or your friends or your partner or your neighbors. It also significantly affects the way that we relate to God. It shapes everything about who we believe God is about what we think God believes is true about us, about the way that we pray, the way we read our Bible, the way that we don't pray or don't read our Bible. 
all of these things, they don't just affect physical relationships. They, they have a massive impact on our spiritual relationship because all throughout Scripture, we understand that God wants to be, refers to himself and is talked about as our Father. 1 John 3 says, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. It says, continual reminder that we are children of God, that God is our heavenly Father. And so there is this important aspect for us to understand this. And we don't all see or relate to God in the same way, which is why things that are generally true can be helpful, but things that are specifically true can have a big impact on us. I want to give you guys an example. Uh, These are kind of the three uh, unhealthy uh, ways of attaching. So the sensitive, if you found yourself in that kind of category, uh, you would vigilantly monitor God's moods for potential rifts that you are responsible for, believing that if you don't eliminate all sin in your life and do all the right things and hold all the right beliefs, God doesn't want to have anything to do with us. If you're shut down, then you would work to suppress any feelings of fear, pain, sadness, or doubt because they're clearly evidence that we don't have enough faith. And well, obviously God caused Uh, cause God to reprimand us or reject us. If you are in the shifty category, you would uh, repetitively punish yourself to show God that we are just as disgusted with ourselves as he is. There's a sense of shame uh, in in who we are. Being close to God is impossible without truly feeling terrible about yourself. These are all ways that these unhealthy attachment styles, they actually begin to affect our, our spiritual relationship with our Heavenly Father. And as I read those, I don't know if any of those (laughs) resonate with you guys. I think for some of us, it might resonate more if we haven't already begun kind of keeping God at arm's length or numbing ourselves to the possibilities that these things are true. Secure attachment in relationships is believing that when I need you, you will be available, responsive, and engaged. But even the most spiritual and godly people have moments where they feel insecure in their relationship with God. And our Heavenly Father wants us desperately to know that that is not necessary with Him. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story to make this point exactly. Luke 15, verse 11 It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. We don't have time But this parable that Jesus tells is overflowing with symbolism and meaning that to the first century Jewish people that Jesus was speaking to, it would have been like a shocking story. We don't have time to look at all of these details, but this is a a 
a brutal portrait of what Jesus is painting. He goes on and it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Secure attachment in a relationship is believing when I need you, you will be available, responsive, and engaged. And the parable of the prodigal son, you have this person who does everything the wrong way, not even just like accidentally, but chooses to be away, to be in relationship, to exist, to, to treat his family in every possible wrong way. And the point of this story is that the father is waiting, looking at this road, I would imagine every day for his son to come home. And when he sees him coming home, he doesn't wait for himself to clean up. He doesn't make his son talk about how he is the worst of all people and make sure his son recognizes how terrible he is before he can... There's none of that. He runs to him, hugs him, kisses him, celebrates the connection, the closeness. I think that for a lot of us, when we read this story, we think that it's beautiful, but also maybe unrealistic. That's your insecurity talking. It's not the truth. God is not just a secure parent. God is the secure parent. God is the parent who is there, present, engaged with us. He wants to, st he wants to show us how we can have security, how we can have confidence, not only with himself, but with others. Again, Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'm convinced that neither death or life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This verse, this, these verses are just like a billboard letting us know that we are secure. That there is nothing, nowhere, no one, no thing that can separate us. That we are secure. Becoming securely attached to God is how we become securely attached to others. We have the confidence that our Heavenly Father is not only for us, but with us and in us and welcoming us and watching for us. And just like Mr. Rogers says, I like you just the way you are. Like our Heavenly Father is inviting us to come just as we are. And yes, He wants us to change also, but not because He hates us, but because He wants us to experience wholeness, healing, 
restoration, goodness. It's because of his love for us that he allows us the possibility of changing, of growing, of becoming whole. And if we're only able to attach partially to God and to others, then we're missing out on the life that God created for us and the life that God desperately wants for us. And so this is, this is the, the foundation. This is the idea of why we're talking about this over these next few weeks. There's three weeks left. We're going to talk about each one of these uh, kind of unhealthy ways of being attached because we all experience them in some ways. And I'm so excited for us to do that But first, we have to be able to stand in a place where we can be confident and know that the most important love, that the most important relationship, the most crucial piece of this puzzle is the way that God views us. And we can have complete security in that. This parable, do you guys know what this parable is called? article so that's exactly right um do you guys know what prodigal means because we talk about this all the time we refer to people as like oh it's my prodigal son or i am the prodigal son or but <laughs> i think 99 percent of people don't actually even know what the definition of prodigal is we kind of chalk it up to this like wayward someone who left and came back The actual definition of prodigal is having or giving something on a lavish scale. That's actually what the definition is. It has nothing to do with leaving or coming home. And so there is this reality that, yes, this prodigal son lived this lavish life. He he went out and he did everything and, and lived kind of this lavish reckless way of of spending all that he had. But I think it's so crucial for us to understand at the same time that this prodigal son is welcomed home by a prodigal father. There is a, a heavenly father who lavishly loves us. The only person that could possibly match or beat our brokenness, our mistakes, our recklessness, the choices we've made, the homes we grew up in or the homes that we've created for ourselves, the only person that could possibly meet that and overcome that is a prodigal father, a heavenly father who loves us with a lavish and seemingly reckless love. This father that ran out to his son, that hugged him, even though by every cultural standard and religious standard, that was the wrong thing to do. This is who Jesus tells us our God is like. This is the picture that Jesus gives us to understand not only who God is, but the way that he views every one of us. The skepticism that we have, the ways we might think we have to earn or prove or manipulate our way into God's good standing, all of that is thrown out the window in this story of a prodigal son and the prodigal father. Let's pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. 
If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.